What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Daniel Artes Podcast, man. And um, today, I have Mark Medina from USA Today. He's coming in on the chat, and we're just going to talk about, you know, the NBA bubble. And um, yeah, we're going to get right into it. So, hey, Mark, what's going on, brother? What's up, man? How are you, my friends? I'm doing great, man. I'm doing great. So, you're live in Orlando right now, inside of the bubble, right? This is it. This is the bubble. I mean, this is this is part of the bubble. I'm in my hotel room at the Coronado Springs, but I've been quarantined here since Sunday. So this is like where, where the factory is. And this is also where I sleep, eat all the above. So it's been, uh, it's been interesting. So you there for the rest of the season? Well, I'm not in, I'm not in quarantine for the rest of the season. That'll be a long time, but um, you know, all things considered so far, four negative tests, I got three more negatives to go. Uh, assuming that happens, I'll be out of quarantine sometime on Sunday, and then I'll be able to start venturing out to practices uh, Monday, and we'll go from there. Um, as far as how long I'm here, it's kind of up in the air. I'm here at least through the first half of it, so I'll be here for you know the season buildup, the beginning of the season, you know, the first round of the playoffs. But we're we're kind of playing by ear if I'm here for the long haul or if I'll I'll split it up with uh, my colleague Jeff Zilga. Okay. Oh, okay. That's yeah, cool. yeah. Great guy. Great coworker. Great friend. But uh, yeah, there's there's so many things up in the air right now. <laughs> that's funny because that that was actually my first question too. Because I was I was so going to ask. What you. was your first question? <laughs> my first question was was going to be like, you know, we knew what the players was going through, you know, as far as like getting quarantined into the bubble and everything. Wow. You know, but I was going to ask you like, what did you have to do? But you already said it. Yeah. So you got to do seven different tests. Negative. Well, I haven't finished it yet. I've done four so far. I got three more to go. Uh, what's happened is once I got dropped off at the hotel Sunday afternoon, I, I can't leave this area. And um, three times a day, meals are dropped off. You know, the times have fluctuated, but for the most part, it's like 8 a.m., noon, 6. Yeah. And the testing evolved. I mean, the first few days, it was pretty late at night. But they started moving up the time. So sometime between three and five, they'll knock on your door. Uh, you got three different health officials there, and you'll get the the mouth swab. So they'll kind of swirl it around there. They'll do the yeah. nose swab on each side. But it's not the deep one, which is really a little uncomfortable, especially if you do it a lot. It's just at the tip. I mean, it, it literally takes like 10 seconds. So it's, it's not okay. too bad. Oh, okay, okay, cool. That's that's crazy. So, so your day to day is like. So, how how you are you getting any like articles out, any stories out, like like nothing, right? So you just in there just watching TV and no, no, it's it's not just me watching TV. It's just I can't leave. So it's all Zoom calls, it's all phone interviews. I mean, so the NBA teams have started practicing, so they've been organizing Zoom calls throughout the day. Okay. You know, I'll hop on a few of them here or there, but I don't cover a specific team anymore like I did yeah. cover the Lakers and when, you know, Ron Artest was on there and I yeah. don't cover the Warriors. So for me, it's a mix of like going in there sometimes if there's like a high profile player like James Harden with the Rockets or Nikola Jokic with the Nuggets, like I've hopped on those. Yeah. And sometimes going on different teams just to collect stuff as I'm working on something. But then I'm also on the phone just calling league people and putting stuff together and then writing. So, I mean, it's it's been busy because um, there's a lot going on. Everyone wants to do interviews. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm blessed. Like, 
you're in demand, take it, right? But it's yeah. not, hey, I'm just lounging, Netflix and chill, watch Disney cartoons all day. It's far from it. <laughs> man, that's that's crazy, man. So, like, we we heard from, from out here that, you know, players are, you know, pretty much getting caught. And stuff, you know, doing whatever yeah. we're doing, whatever, you know, you think you think they, they can sustain this long term, though? I think so. I mean, it's not good that two of those players got caught, but I think you got to put it in proportion here. Mm-hmm. The vast majority of the guys are taking this seriously. They're following the rules. You know, that goes to, you know, how much the infection rate is, too. Like, you don't want to make light of it because, I mean. This COVID-19 virus is deadly, but, uh, you know, the the numbers have been pretty low. I think there's, what, 25 for players that tested between June 23rd and the 29th. And then the NBA announced earlier this week that there were two that tested positive when they started gaining in Orlando, but those guys were in quarantine. And then, you know, Russell Westbrook and Harrison Barnes announced that they were – of those players that had tested positive before uh, they, you know, their respective team went to Orlando. So right now mm-hmm. it's a pretty low rate. You know, the bubble hasn't been compromised, but it's just, you know, they're going to be here till October 13th. That's the last day yeah. of game seven of the NBA finals. So I'm confident, like if I had to predict, I think they pull it off. It's not going to be pretty. There's going to be injuries. There's going to be lineup changes. Some guys having to be out because there's a positive test. But I don't think anyone's life is going to be at stake. And I don't think it's going to be so dramatic where, like, you get everyone in the starting lineup tested positive and all of a sudden that team's just wiped out, right? I, I think it'll be just kind of across the board, some cases here or there but not enough to make Adam Silver, the NBA commissioner, and the players union to say, hey, we got to shut this down. I, I think that they will get through this. Yeah. I, I, I don't I, I don't know, man, because, you know, these these, these players, you, you know the lifestyle, Mark. You know, you've seen it. <laughs> right? yeah, you know more than me. I mean, you got to educate me here. What are, what are we talking? Like, these players are, these players are young. You know what I mean? They're rich. They're uh, active. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like they're gonna be, it's gonna be tough when they don't have the things that they're normally used to, especially the players that want to go out party. You know, hang out with the women as well. Like it's gonna be tough. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I like, mean, we're we're in this conversation, right? Like you yeah. can't do the drinking in the room. I mean, you can't do some Facetime sessions. Like that's not gonna hold you over. <laughs> uh, I don't know, man. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one, right there. Hey, listen. You know these these young them young players. They want the person. They want the hey, person. You know what? Like I got to share this story. It's funny, and I'm not the only one who's gotten this. I'm sure other people in our field have gotten it. Uh-huh. And it's like I'm not touching this because I'm not TMZ. I'm USA Today. Exactly. There was a publicist that that reached out and said, "Hey, like, you know, I'm re- I'm reaching out on behalf of this service for like, you know, all the NBA players and the coaches that might be in Orlando. Like, we're offering." a companion virtual service like do you want to talk to us about it and it's like that's not my lane i'm good <laughs> wow that's that's funny that's funny yeah man. yeah it was it was amusing and and you know what like we're on this topic it's not related but it's a, related i gotta share a funny laker story like they're 
you know, we can we can kind of go off the grid a little bit because it's your yeah. pod. This is, you know, this isn't the traditional radio pod interview. 2014-15 NBA season. I'm covering the Lakers, right? This mm-hmm. is on the heels of, you know, the late great Kobe Bryant. He, he's fighting his injuries. Byron Scott's first season. You know, there's a flood of just, you know, guys on one-year deals. They're not good, right? They get off to an 0-5 start. Yeah. So, you know, we all expected, yeah, the Lakers are going to be struggling this year, but you know how it is in L.A. Like, when you're over five, it's like, what the hell? So, TMZ decided to uh, interview some porn star. And I don't even know who the person is, whatever. But, like, she was saying, hey, I'm so confident in the Lakers. Like, they're going to make the playoffs. And if they make the playoffs, I'm going to give – Every one of the players and the staff members blow jobs. Oh my god! So like, funny story. Ha ha ha! TMZ. Good job. Hmm. That porn star ats me on Twitter. Ats me like writes the at to me, and she writes interview, and I'm not touching that. Like I'm not <laughs> yes or no. Like first of all, I'm not doing those kind of stories. Like I'm not going to say yes. I'm not going to say no. Like, I don't want the screenshots out in the universe. Yeah. Yeah, the audacity try to reach out to me, knowing that I cover the Lakers, seeing if I want to interview her about that. (laughs) Stay away from it, man. Stay away from it. No, I didn't answer. I pretended I never saw (laughs) it. That's so funny, man. That's why I think it's going to be tough because of stuff like that, man. You know, Um, these these players are used to a certain type of lifestyle. Then now they all, now they all, you know, bunched up in together. Like it's an AU tournament or something. I don't know. I get that, but I'd have to think here. There's money at stake. There's a season at stake. Yeah. People's lives at stake. Like I get, you know, hey, some guys went off the campus because, hey, they didn't know the boundaries and they want to get Postmates. Yeah. Like, if I'm a team, if I'm a player, I have in the back of the mind, I don't want to F this up. Yeah. You know, like, can you imagine the backlash you get from your teammate, like that star player, if like you're the guy that screws it up? I don't don't know. I mean, I, I might be naive. Yeah. And I'm not, you know, I'm totally well aware of what the lifestyle is for guys and what they're used to, but I, I'd have to think that they know there's just so much at stake that they know, yeah. you know what it's not worth it. Yeah, exactly. I think I think you're right about that too as well. You know, um, but I I just I I listen. I think that the stars is going to be fine. You know, what I mean, they try and win a championship. They yeah. focus locked in, but it's, it's up to the other guys. Like you know, like situation with Sacramento with. Uh, Rashawn Holmes, you know, wanted to get some postmates stepped over the line. Now he's locked in for, well, I guess six more days now, you know. So yeah. hopefully, you know, they exercise caution and stuff. And so, um, hey, so is this the snitch hotline really a thing? I mean, it's a thing. It exists. Um, you know, you can call the number anonymously. If you do text, it's not anonymous. But yeah. you know what? What I gathered it's been used, there's been some reports, but it's it's been pretty sporadic. You know, the sense I get is that, you know, players have better use of their time than to to worry about that. But I will say this. Yeah. In normal life, I'm anti-snitch. Like, your private life's your private life, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, teach his own. But, like, for here, yeah. I'm a pro-snitch. Like, lives are at stake. 
Give me seasons at stake. If I see someone doing stuff, yeah, I'm reporting them. Like, now, you know, I'm not, to be clear, we're at the Coronado Springs Hotel. I'm at a different hotel than the other teams. Yeah. And we're not, we're on the same campus, but the security here, I mean, it is so tight that the outside public can't infiltrate this. But also, we can't mingle among the different hotels. So, like, there's no intermingling at all. So, like, it's not like I would even see them anyway. But, like, if I were a player and I were to see, hey, a guy's going out, they're not wearing a mask, or they they left the campus. Like, yeah, I'm reporting it. Like, I'm not a snitch. Like, I'm looking out for everyone. And here – and one thing I got to stress is I know, like, look, professional athletes, they're competitors. They're looking for an edge. Like, you know, Doc Rivers was joking the other day with the Clippers, hey – I ratted out LeBron. I ratted out Pop. I'm going after everyone. <laughs> you know, like there might be the guys that are like, you know what? I'm going to try to report everyone because I want to win. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. People that are getting the information, it's not like they're trusting it. It's they're going to verify it. Mm-hmm. So, what all it comes down to, it doesn't matter what the motives are, what that yeah. person endgame is, is, is the intel. Correct. Is it accurate? That's all that matters. Yeah, that's true. That's so true. So I'm all about it. I mean, it's just this. This is a very, it's a very risky operation the NBA is doing, and and I think that they're doing a really good job. They they've been preparing and covering all the bases, but it's a huge risk, and so you want to have different things in place that give themselves a chance to pull this off, and. The uh, the snitch hotline is one of them. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. When I first heard about it, I'm like, and then, you know, the, everybody got their jokes. And, you know, who, you know, the first player that I thought of that everybody started naming that was going to tell was CP3, man. Like, yeah, they are. They are killing them. But somebody else is getting a lot of backlash um, in the NBA. James Harden for that face mask that he wore. Um, I guess he had a face mask on that looked like some. It had a blue line on it, and hey, can you indulge me on this? What What's the big deal about that? Okay, so the the um the Blue Lives Matter, you know the cops. Oh right, right, right. Their their logo it looks exactly like what the mask that James Harden had on, like all the lines, and then one blue line. It's the same exact thing. I don't think now. I don't think James Harden's like you know, you know he ain't gonna be like making no political statement like that. He said it looked cool. I believe him. Um. When I looked at it, I was like, yo, the, the mask looked weird at first. But I was like, oh, look, it looks cool. It fits him or whatever. It's, it's cool, I guess. But when I, when I realized, I was like, oh, that looked like he's going to get in. He's going to get some social media heat for it because it wow. looks like it looks like yeah. the, uh, like you're making a political statement standing with police or whatever and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, and I'll, I'll be frank. I mean, I don't – I just started in my new role, like, yeah, other teams. You know, I, I've been to Houston a few times this year and – Got a chance to know him a little bit better, but it's still pretty limited. But yeah, like I, I have the have had these deep conversations, like with your brother or guys on the Lakers or the Warriors. So I don't know like what his politics are, but like I don't think I'm going out on a limb that not just yeah. a black NBA player, but I mean with his words, I mean he's all about speaking about police brutality and what's going on with all the racism. So I mean that just doesn't seem to fit. But I, yeah, I mean, exactly. I didn't, I'll be honest. I've been, that's the thing in my role, like, cause you're watching other things. 
sometimes you got to just tune other things out. And that was one thing I tuned out. And I just, I mean, I was dealing with other stories and I, I knew that there was a lot of commotion about it, yeah. but I was dealing with other stuff. So I wasn't really sure what the, what the deal was, but yeah, thanks for filming. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, Hey, I got my sources too, you know, <laughs> nice. Yeah, I'm the, I'm the next Chris Haynes. <laughs> hey, you know what? Chris Haynes, if you're watching this, I got to tell you, I love you, Daniel, but there is no Chris Haynes. No he's much. the original. No yeah. one has people care. He, he's definitely. All right, so um, like, I had so many other questions. Like, I thought that you was there and stuff like that, like you, but you're, you're, well, you're like, am, you're like, well, right I, am, there. I am there. Yeah. I'm, getting out of, I'm getting out of this room on Sunday. Yeah. I'll be able to start going to practices. Like I'm as I'll be as close as can be. It's just yeah. Even for us that are down there, it's like you know they gotta they gotta have the health and safety. So yeah, I've been there on the site. I'm gonna be one of the few that will be at practice and shoot arounds. I'll be at the empty arenas. Okay. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So all that stuff's good. It's just you know. Once you get here, you have to get in quarantine. And that, that was the same thing for the players. Yeah. And now I know that there's been some people that are confused on, like, why are we here for a week? You know, when guys have gotten in, some of their quarantine has been, like, two days, three days. What's, what's the deal? Or is there favoritism? And it's like, well, you got to pump the brakes here. There's two things in play. One, they know that players have been tested, and as well staff members and coaches, they've started getting tested every other day, June 23rd. So they had already started kind of creating that bubble for us. I mean, some of us may have been tested. Some of us may have been following the rules, but like we're not in the same parameter. Like we were all living at our place. We're coming from different parts of the country. And then the second part is the teams, they're traveling charter private plane with each other. We're flying commercial. So like there is, some more risk there, at least the initial part. Now, I will say, now that we're here, I think the players are bearing the most risk out of this because, yeah. look, they're they're getting up and down the floor. They're playing games around each other. Someone like me in the media, now that we're here, like, it's a little bit easier to social distance because, like, all I need is a phone and a computer. Yeah. And, you know, we'll be at the games, but, like, we're going to be seated far apart. We'll be at the press conferences, but, like, it's going to be with, like, separated by a 10-foot pole almost, you know. Okay. Okay. So, like, when we're saying this, their quarantine's a little bit shorter because they've been able to get tested more and they're flying private. But I will say much respect to them is now that they're here, I I think that there is an added risk for the players more than anyone else because they're they're the ones that are going to be on the court. They're the ones that are going to have to be changing. They're the ones, you know, that are going to be around more people as far as amongst themselves than someone like me is. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I thought that um, they should have did the Las Vegas bubble because remember that report that came out earlier that um, they was going to do the Vegas – like Vegas offered them, like I think, like two hotels that's connected together where they could house all the players in. They was going to open up the shops, and even the staff would have stayed on site instead of, you know, this Orlando situation where the staff members can go home. Yeah, um, I, I think there are a few things. The optics of how Las Vegas was handling the city mm. doesn't help. There's no way around it. The NBA has a financial partner with Disney. 
you know, they own ESPN, they show the games. But I think even though, you know, I, I am very curious, like there was a point of kind of like a no return where they were committed to this. And yeah. even though Adam Silver was saying, hey, we're it's not about the it's the data, not the date. But Florida's gotten worse and worse. Mm-hmm. I think there are a few things in play. The Disney operations helps and they have experience with dealing with handling operations. They have the venues. It's all close by. And the Disney employees have always been trained to be out of sight. It's a real concern about the Disney employees, but look, I I poked around, I talked to a union rep. And so Mm -hmm. a Disney union guy, like he is pro worker. He's trying to fight for, wages, better job conditions. This isn't a, you know, a corporate CEO, right? He was saying, look, it sounds nice in theory that they have to be quarantined, but you're talking about hundreds, if not thousands of Disney employees. So then all of a sudden they're going to be taking up all the property as far as the hotel rooms. And then also, you know, these guys, these workers are, are minimum wage salary. And, you know, a lot of them are single parents just being away from that long, you know, not to downplay the sacrifices that the players and coaches are making because that's real. Yeah. But it's significantly harder for them. I mean, they don't have the same financial means. And also, they've been, again, trained to be out of sight. Like they're only getting on the property, they're only cleaning the rooms when no one's there. Mm-hmm. They're getting. They're getting daily temperature checks and getting checked for symptoms and they're getting paid for any sick days, whether it's COVID related or not. So there's not that pressure of, Oh, I got to go to work so I can get a paycheck. Hmm. So I I think, you know, that's not a 0% risk, but I think they've, they've organized in a way where those concerns I don't think are, should be as big as they might've been kind of on the initial thought when the people were first starting to hear about it. Okay. Okay. So, um, what, yeah, that's interesting, man. That's, that's interesting. I, I, I personally thought they was going to do the Vegas bubble, but when you, when you factor in ESPN, you know, you know, basically being owned by Disney, I, I understand it. Yeah. Disney. I mean, I don't, I don't have the exact figures of this and I mean, it's something we've all tried to figure out, but I mean, as far as the cost of this, you know, the NBA is handling a lot of costs, but I imagine Disney is as well. So that helps. Yeah. I mean, Disney is Disney. They, they're they a multi-billion dollar corporation. So that helps. I think I think in a way, like even if Florida is a hot mess, because it's enclosed from the outside world, yeah, should be fine. And the fact that the Disney employees, you don't know where they are. Yeah. You know, they, it is a risk, but there's a lot of barriers to slow it down. And, you know, one other thing, initially they weren't going to get tested, and that was a huge concern. And it was mm-hmm. an expense that I was told Disney didn't want to pay for because they thought, look, we have all these other things in place. It's not necessary. But the NBA has come back around and had talks with them. And I don't know to what extent the employees are getting tested, but I know that at least a portion of them are. Oh, okay. Yeah. So uh, at the end of the day, though, I mean, it's there's no zero risk, but I think for the most part, it's as safe as can be. Hmm. 
So like, what what's the what's the, like from your from your um, viewpoint? What's the players like workout schedule? Like, are they all together? Are they separate still? You know, it it varies. Um, you know, all I can go on is like what the itineraries are shared. There's a there's it's throughout the day because they have to stagger it because they're sharing the same resources. Yeah. Because there there's three practice venues or there there's three venues that can hold games and practices. Uh, there's also practice courts at the hotels. Okay. And so you have 22 teams. You have to stagger all that, and you also have to build in time that after each practice, you know, everything has to get disinfected and cleaned. Mm-hmm. So there's teams that have the practices in the morning, afternoon, evening. So I think it starts as early as like 8.30 in the morning, and practices can end as late as like 8 o'clock at night. Mm, okay. I mean, you know, you have 22 teams that spread throughout the day, and now – I, I think that's gonna that's gonna start changing once the games start because teams are gonna be mostly playing every other day and I think each team has a back to back. So with okay. that, you know it's there's some new complications, but there's also flexibility. Like they're playing games at the same venues where they have different practices, but there's some more flexibility because the games, you have two teams out of court, right? Yeah. For the teams that aren't playing, some of those teams might have a practice that day, but some of them might just have a day off because it's like, look, it's all about rest of the legs. We'll have a film session, whatever. You know, at the hotels, there's a lot of um, meeting rooms that they're having. They'll like have a film session or like a players only lounge where you can play video games and, play ping pong and all that stuff. So there, I think that there's going to be a good amount of teams that decide, you know what, uh, we, we should just rest so guys aren't getting hurt and they can catch their wins sort of thing. So I think once the game starts, there won't be as much of having to figure out how they stagger all these teams. But it will still be a tough exercise because you're having, you know, five to six games a day plus some possible practices for the teams that have that day off. Yeah, I could picture uh, a Lakers versus Brooklyn um, basketball game, right? Middle court, court one, one of the two nationally televised courts. And then on the far side, you can see some players just shooting around like it's an AAU tournament. I had a vision about that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll have a better view of just how this all works, but I don't think it's one of those things. Like, there's definitely different courts at each venue, yeah. but I don't think it's like you'll see one court and you can see the other one. Like, there'll be still some sort of separation. Okay, yeah, okay. It, uh, it does uh, from, you know, me being on some of the Zoom calls, some of the guys, some of the players and coaches have likened this to kind of an AAU tournament because it's just games all day. Everyone's staying at the same hotel. It's, it kind of reminds yeah. me of that and, you know, those basketball camps. Yeah, I, I just, I just want to see, like, who's going to, you know – you know, a lot of these players – they they need not need but you know they 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 get that extra boost of adrenaline when they're in you know in a twenty thousand seat you know packed sold out arena so I I just can't wait to see like how it is when you can hear like the, the sneakers squeaking no sounds and nothing like that like that's that's the like you know pure basketball to me yeah it's gonna be weird I mean we know it's gonna be weird but it's like until it actually happens I don't think anyone truly knows you know because mm-hmm. it's 
I mean, when has there been a game without fans ever? I mean, even if you're playing, I mean, Daniel, like you and Ron played in Queens, like there were still people there, right? I mean, there's still yeah. an audience. Like it's not the same as an arena. Yeah. Right? Like, so, I mean, what was, let me ask you this. Like when you guys were playing in Queens, like growing up, like what was the energy like of just having, even if it's just a handful of friends that you have an audience Oh no! Nah, when 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 we played in Queensbridge, they came out. You know, yeah. like um, it, it was like two, three thousand people for a street ball game in New York. You know, because it was like in Queensbridge, it's six different blocks. So we had this tournament called a block to block tournament. You know, which is uh, it compiles of teams from 12th Street, 10th Street, and Vernon. They have one side called the 40th side, and another side called the 41st side. You know, so it was it was like a really really um bragging rights tournament things like that you know and um the rivalry was always my block which is 10th street versus 12th street you know whether if it was the games normally was empty or like half full the park but until you know when when i stepped on the court versus 12th street like the entire neighborhood stepped out me and my friend uh john hemingway we always said that you know when 10th street and 12th street played against each other no crime ever happened in, in queensbridge really huh yeah Cause it was it was packed, it was sold out, and it was it was like, it was it was an insane atmosphere. So, but um, when I went to five star basketball camp, when we went up and down five on five, it was like nobody there but players, certain coaches, and stuff like that. You know, uh, so, what was the yeah. vibe like there, huh? What was the vibe like there with? Oh, uh, five star was really um, basically just a bunch of skill work stuff. Um, you do a lot of classroom stuff, and you and then you go out there and play. You know, you play yeah, at the end of the how, day. How do you guys play with no fans there? It, just like, you know, you wake up going to work out six in the morning and everything, you know, and um, yeah. it's just, just how it is. Like how we worked out in UCLA with no, when nobody was there. <laughs> I remember that. Hey, <laughs> I mean, we, we got to set the record straight here. I mean, you, you beat me up. We had a good workout, but I got through it. Yeah, you did. You I finished the whole through. thing. Well, let, me let me say this. Here, here is just my feeling. I had this sense that it's just like, you know what the stereotype is. You got like the either the the rail thin or the overweight sports writer that like can't hold his own. Mm -hmm. You may have had that thought, and then you're like, oh wait, like he can hold his own. No, I never, I never I oh, never went okay. <laughs> in there doubting you. You know, you <laughs> doubt, but I held my own. Like we got through it. It was like holy. You know what? Yeah. I mean, and those were some pretty demanding drills. Yeah, they were. They were. They were a bunch of um, boot camp style stuff. But I tried to mix a little bit of uh, basketball training in it. That was like my kind of style and things like that. Because when I was, you know, heavy into, you know, when I was going to a uh, personal training school, I was trying to come out with my own personal training, you know, plan, which I actually have still have the sketches of what I want to do. If I ever decide to go about it, I won't say nothing because you know how it is. You know, I don't want nobody stealing my ideas and stuff. You know? <laughs> Treating me like uh, Steve Nash and Shaq versus. I don't, I don't want that to happen to me. <laughs> so now, nah, but um, I, I tried to incorporate, you know, different boot camp styles, like as far as like basketball drills and everything. So just everything that I learned over. That's what we did that day. <laughs> Yeah, no, that was fun. That was a good workout. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, but this is this this is like it's gonna be an interesting thing, you know. This um this whole the rest of the NBA season. I'm glad that it's starting up and everything. Um, what's the situation? Are you um have any um familiar um are you familiar with what's going on with the WNBA? 
A little bit. Uh, my my colleague Jeff Zilgit's been more in tune with what has happened with how they've been ha- handling okay. the whole situation with. Uh, and please forgive me for the ignorance. Just I've been so locked in the NBA, WNBA player who had you know Lyme disease, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so what? Wait, what's her name? Uh, uh, Lana Deldon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. don't understand that. I mean, that's such a bad look. And, you know, the WNBA was making so much progress uh, with just a new CBA. There's enhanced, you know, increased payment for players. Yeah. You know, more support for maternity leave. And then you're going to do this, like, during a pandemic. I mean, it seemed like they were kind of on the up and up. And look, like, a business is a business and there's no way around it. Like, I think yeah. – in 2020, we're past the conversation of like women athletes in their place. Like they deserve it all, right? Like, yeah. But, you know, there is revenue and the WNBA doesn't get the same amount of revenue that the NBA does. Like, there's no way. Yeah. Like, the revenue has been increasing. And just, just to do that, like, it just reeks of cheapness and just being really cold. Like, I, yeah. I don't get it. Like, they had doctors that they were consulting with. But from my understanding, from what my colleague Jeff Silga reported and talking to her, they never actually talked with her directly. They never consulted with her. They just made this decision without even speaking to her. Like, how do you do that? <laughs> That's crazy, man. Yeah. Crazy. Like, I'm a big fan of WNBA. You know, I used to, when I was in Indiana, I used to, you know, train with certain, some of the players and everything. So I'm a big you fan of women. What'd you say? Did you train with Tamika Catchins? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like when they yeah. had the practice players in, I was I was on that, I was I was with them the year they won the whole thing. Oh nice. And so yeah, it, it was fun going in there and working out and with the girls and and you just get a, a new whole new appreciation for women's basketball. So like when I see the stuff they still dealing with, it kind of sucks. <laughs> you know oh, what I mean? So it totally sucks. It, it, I'm it, like their I mean their fundamentals are yeah. matched. And I'll be I'll be honest here. I mean, I, I I need to do a better job of watching the game, but it's not because of a lack of interest. It's just, you know, when you're entrenched in the NBA, it's just you kind of have liners on, and then when the season ends, you get away and you're yeah. going on vacation. But you know, I had the pleasure, and I I'm so grateful I did it. You know, when I when I intern I interned at the Washington Times in 2007. I covered mm-hmm. the Mystics that summer. Okay. I, I mean, I was seeing Elena Beard and Delisha Milton Jones play, and they're some of the best in the league. And then I covered the Sparks when I first got to the LA Times. Mm. And so in 2009, so this is before all the stuff with the Lakers. And so I'm covering Lisa Leslie last season, Tina Thompson's there. You know, this is Candace Parker's, I think, second year in the league. Mm. They're, they're so good at what they do like the fundamentals are awesome like the competitiveness is there like yeah you know, they I, physical like they trash talk like they hoop like it's oh, it's a fun game trust me i know this firsthand i remember um so you know i mean this is when i was still dunking you know so <laughs> i <laughs> i get a rebound and i'm going full speed right and then i go up to jump and uh Breon january She's with the Phoenix Mercury now, but she was with Indiana. She's like every bit of five seven, like one thirty. 
full speed. She just takes a whole charge, you know? She takes enough. She goes like this, yeah. takes a charge at me running full speed at her, and then, like, and then yelled in my face, like how Marcus Morris um, yelled at Trisha Thompson's face in the playoffs or whatever, <laughs> you know? Yelled at me, like, ah! And I was just like, I don't want no problems with you, lady. You know, like, are you okay first? You know, but it was fun. It was fun, eh? And, um, you know, I be telling my friends all the time, like, listen, in about two hours, you're going to have a new respect for women's basketball. They got some big girls in there, too. 6'7", six, 6'6", six, six, 250 that can play. They stay strong, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was it, it, it was definitely fun. I, and sometimes I don't like how they get mistreated, whether it's on social media or, or like, you know, with what's going on with this with the current situation and stuff. Well, and, you, um, saw, you saw the thing in the Washington Post today, right, about, you know, Washington NFL team. Um, yeah, I mean it's just I don't know. I'm I'm just so beside myself on why this stuff keeps happening. Like it's 2020, you know the sexism, the racism. It's just you know this isn't a political thing. Like it just seems common sense. Like don't yeah be that person. Like I don't get it. Yeah, it's it's, it's it is crazy. I just you know sometimes sometimes I just get fed up with it. I get frustrated. Because at the end of the day, when people want to talk about this whole all lives matters, black lives matter thing or whatever, I'm like, listen, I get it. Like, like who you like, support whatever you want to do. Like, but what about the humanity side? I know we're all humans. Yeah. So somebody, if if you're watching something on TV and you see a, a man, you know, that's getting, you know, choked out on TV with by a knee, you know, and all we just saying is like, hey, we just want equal rights too. Yeah. You know, why Why are y'all defending, you know, opposing it? Why are y'all trying to rebuttal that, you know? And, like, I'm going to say it before. I said it before. I'm going to say it again. That Black Lives Matter does not mean that all lives don't matter. Black Lives Matter means, basically, I, I'm in South Carolina, right? And I want to be able to go outside my door and not look over my back. Yeah. Over my shoulder. You know, I I have four kids. I got four kids. You know, four black kids. I feel like me just creating life in this world. I created four targets, added on to myself being a target as a black man myself. And my kids, they're big kids. Like you know, my, my twins, they'll be twelve next Wednesday. You know, and um, they're 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 um, you know, above size. You know, my four year olds look like the size of a six year old and stuff like that. So it's like, I gotta, I don't know how to explain it when you know my sons see me crying and I'm watching CNN. You see what happened with George Floyd, and he wants to know like why they do that. You know, yeah. and. That's 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 the toughest thing. So you know, um, yeah. I just, just I mean, even as a white person who like you know comes from a mixed background, like I'm white, middle class, but you know my dad was born and raised in Mexico. So like you, mm-hmm. you get this like you get some sort of window into what it's like dealing with it, but it can't even compare. Yeah, people say that all lives matter. You know, you know what? This is a diversion tactic because like where was your outrage? when you know unarmed black people are getting shot and and you know then they try to change the narrative of oh you're anti-police anti-law enforcement no like they just want them to be held accountable when they f up yeah that's all like you know the and the whole oh it's bad apples well like there's a lot of bad apples number one and number two like you can't have bad apples when you have when they're pilots right if someone crashes the plane yeah like i mean that person's life is over but like there's accountability there so i mean it's just even as someone who hasn't obviously gone through that sort of thing just like hearing it is annoying as hell 
Yeah. And it's just, you know, it's just so it's gotten to the point where it's just like, you're so over it. And like, you don't, you shouldn't have patience for it. Cause it's all BS, you know, like yeah. it's just like call a spade a spade. Like there should be accountability and like there needs to be change, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I feel like, like a lot of this systematic racism also happened in schools and stuff. Cause I wasn't, I didn't learn about a lot of stuff. I'm 37. I'm finding out new stuff, uh-huh. you know, like, I like a couple of years ago, you know, my early thirties, like I found out about how, uh, you know, what Juneteenth meant, you know, and then like you put together when you when you're standing for the national anthem and you go, you know, for the land of the free or whatever. And then all of a sudden you realize Juneteenth is 89 years after that when black people was free, you know. So but it, it starts in the books, too, as well. They need to tell the entire story instead of just, you know, bits and pieces. Oh, That's just my for opinion. Sure. For sure. And I mean, I don't know, like. Even for me, who's white again, like I, this is just my perspective. Mm-hmm. I have rolled my eyes during this time when you kind of have this narrative of white people being like, suddenly, oh my gosh, I wasn't aware. Like, where were you? Like, you can read, like, <laughs> the excuse that you didn't learn as much of this stuff in school can only go so far. And yeah. I have my own blind spots, but like, you can read, you can venture out of your comfort zone and all that stuff. Yeah. And but at the same time, like, you know, I think that there's this like instinct among some white people that's like, Hey, I want to be the woke guy. And it's like, no, that's disingenuous. And like the whole, how can I help? Like, I don't know. Yeah. You need someone to hold your hand on like how to do it. Like, well, kind of, I think it's kind of on you to like, Hey, I know my blind spots. I know my limited worldview. So I'm going to yeah. venture out and try to seek where I can learn more things, you know? Yeah. But the, like when, when a white person asked me that, how can I help? I was like, this is how you can definitely help. Yeah. I was like, you know, have, have integrity. So basically when, when nobody's around and you're around all your white friends or whatever, and they start yeah. throwing that N word around like that crazy, you check them. Yeah. You tell them. And then that that's how it starts. Cause it starts like, we don't have to come together to to have this type of peace. And this is how I feel. I feel like this started with with y'all. So y'all have to come, you know, to y'all, to y'all senses and everything. And I want to touch on something you said about the um the cops with the bad apples. This is how I feel. And then when, when we're talking about cops, we're not really talking about, you know, racist white cops. We're talking about every cop. Yeah. Because there's bad apple black cops, too, as well. You know, you, I'll, I'll tell you about that in a second. But. When you're a cop, right, and you see something that was going on, like that's unjust, like what's going on with George Floyd, you don't step in. You could be the most saintly person in the world. You're just as bad as them, mm-hmm. as bad as the murderer, you know. Um, you know, and then there there was a um another cop was a black guy. He was kind of frustrated or whatever, I guess. So he goes on TikTok, makes a video. Was like he's like showing his muscles and challenging people to fight him. I'll sign a waiver. You sign a waiver. We can go fight. And then he backtracked on it once MMA fighters started. Was like, all right, I'll fight you. You know, he backed up and stuff. So it'd be cops like that, like especially you know minority cops. Like you're you don't you don't understand like you get you get talked about just as bad as black people too as well. You know you know like. You can hear it all, like especially like Asians. You know, they talk about Asians with the dogs and cats and stuff like that all the time. You know, like it, it's it's crazy, and but a lot of them are whitewashed too as well. There's a lot of like Mexicans that's whitewashed. A lot of um, 
like Dominicans that be whitewashed that 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 hate their own kind. Like you know, there's always a big situation a conflict on the on the island of the Dominican Republic and Haiti, which shares the same island. Yeah. You know, but they Dominicans are really you know disrespectful and racist to um to Haitians, and um it, it happens like that. We we need to stop, and I think everybody needs to take a step back and and try to you know figure out like what they what do they really want to do? You know, stop hiding. You know. And, and and be and be a good ally. That's just my opinion. Sure. No, I mean it's it's good to get your perspective on that. And like I see on the, some of the comments, like people are really chiming in about the school stuff. And like for me, I've been blessed that I wasn't necessarily ignorant to these yeah. issues growing up, but there were still blind spots. So like for example, where I grew up, you know, I grew up in York, Pennsylvania. You know, great. Mm-hmm great town, like great place to raise a family, all good people, you know, who I've come across, but the diversity just wasn't there. Mm -hmm. Um, But I will give credit, the school I went to, I mean, they could have done a lot more, but they didn't like hide it. They didn't camouflage it. I mean, it wasn't basic where they just taught, oh, civil war ended slavery, oh, civil rights era. You know, there's voting and and more equality. They they didn't try to paint it that simplistic. They, yeah, you know, high school teacher emphasized to me that you know the analogy of you know if you're running in a race and you're having someone be you know ahead like three laps or whatever while the other person's getting a slow start behind. Yeah, running with like stuff getting thrown at them. They're running with like weights on their leg, and all of a sudden, they say, "You know what? You can't get stuff thrown at you. You can't have a weight on your leg." Well, you're still behind, right? Yeah. Like, I'm very grateful that they emphasize those things, but at the same time, you know, there were there were blind spots. Like, you know, they didn't fill in all the history of like certain dates, certain things, um, and I think also the discussion wasn't as robust as it could have been because there just wasn't as much diversity, like the majority of the school. Yeah. White people. So like, and that's not to say, Oh, I don't want white people there. Like that's not what it's about. Like that's don't get that twisted, but it's just when you're having just that worldview, you don't have the same experiences. And so with that, even if everyone or, you know, like I didn't hear people saying derogatory things in those classes, but like, yeah. even, even if all of them were like, hey, like fully support equality, it's messed up. They, they didn't have the same life experience. So that whole educational education experience in that class, it was limited. Yeah. Um, but I am grateful that at least um, I wasn't naive that it's an ongoing thing and that the major like really basic pivot points that you should know weren't whitewashed, but it's still, it's still not enough. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I, I don't, I don't know if we're going to have the entire racial harm that everybody wants, but I, I think hopefully it'll get better. Maybe for not our generation, maybe for, how, how do you think this plays out? I, man, I think, I don't know, to be honest. I don't know. I just think that in order for it to, to be all right, how I would want it to play out is that, you know, we get out and vote. You know what I mean? We everybody's frustrated. So 
go do your part and vote and get everybody and get whoever you want to get out. But I do feel like we need to strip down the entire, you know, Congress government type of thing. There's too many people that been in there since about, you know, what time segregation happened. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, there's people that have been in that office for like 50, 60 years. I've been a senator or, or in Congress or, so, or in type of some type of politics. You know, if you look at the ages of everybody, you know, yeah. so I think that, you know, people that have that much tenure, because I know there's a lot of, you know, white people that want to help. You know, what I mean, they grew, they're growing up with us. They see everything. And then there's a lot of good white people as well. You know, so I think that we need to just, you know, vote everybody out and get the get that young person in there with this new uh, with this new energy and stuff. So we can we can, um, you know, move forward as a nation, as a people and stuff. That's just my opinion. Yeah. Well, I hope I hope you're correct. I mean, the world's a really complex place, but I'm, you know, just from my own and it's a very limited perspective, but just following the news, I was, um, you hate what happened to George Floyd. That's terrible. And I mean, there's just so many examples of that happening in yeah. recent years. Um, but thankfully it was documented and thankfully that led to, you know, people just getting so fed up with their protests. And I will admit, mm -hmm. I feared that that weekend when the protests were happening and there were, you know, there was looting in certain parts of these protests. I was fearful that the narrative would have gotten changed and people would have hung on to that. And then it just comes to, and it, and it hasn't, like it's still moving yeah. forward. So I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised and encouraged, but it's just, you know, uh, it's a it's a long fight, so hopefully uh, we all are in this together to see it through. Yeah, man, that's man. Hopefully one day, man. But yeah, I want to thank you for coming on to the show again, man. We about to get out of here. Hey, man, um, we we kicked some knowledge. I mean, we hit it all across the board, right? Yeah, we sure did. We sure did. The thing is, like, we didn't script this at all. Like, I'm being dead serious. It was just like I'm on here. We're talking. This is just yeah. having a conversation. I mean. Yeah, exactly. I had seven questions for you too about about talking oh, about really? but, but yeah, I had seven questions for you. But you know, you LeBron's legacy if he wins. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have I don't have those type of questions, man. You know, oh, but what does well? I I, I mean, I don't understand LeBron's legacy. Some um, just talk about LeBron legacy sometimes. I just feel like this LeBron Eshin <laughs> Stone, man. I I don't know, man. I, I don't I don't understand people. Just that's crazy. I always felt like this. This is how it started. I always felt like once LeBron started threatening the throne of Kobe Bryant, then you know that's when it really got to a to to a fever pitch. Then it, it never stopped ever since, man. <laughs> but I mean, is he really? I don't know. I'm I, I'm so like we were having this conversation when we had when I was on your show after the you know when the Bulls doc was going on. Yeah. Like these player comps, like I get it. It's barbershop talk. This is what sports like makes it fun. But like what is frustrating for me is just like a sports writer who just loves the NBA, loves the league, the storylines. Like, why does everything have to be an either or? Right? Yeah. Like, why does someone's accomplishment also mean it's diminishing someone else's? So, like, for example, you know, like during the whole Bulls doc, it's inevitable. Yeah. Michael Jordan, LeBron James, blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah, right? Like, yeah. I think the Bulls doc showed there were things that Michael did a lot better, but there are also yeah. LeBron did a lot better. Like, that doc showed, you know what? 
Michael is a maniacal competitor, even like for all professional athletes that are competitive, like he's on this other level. He's this crazy yeah. sport. As it showed, though, he struggled learning how to trust his teammates, learning how to elevate it. I mean, and he admits it. And LeBron yeah. had already figured that out when he was a very young player in the league. And so his goal exactly. was trying to figure out, hey, how do I get that other stuff of like, hey, I got this. Like, I'm going to take charge and I'm going to get all my teams. But like he figured out the other things that Michael couldn't figure out. So like, I don't know, it goes all hand in hand. I mean, we can have the debate all we want of like, hey, who's your top five, top ten, that's fine. But like, why does every little like flashpoint mean like, oh, that means LeBron sucks or that means Kobe sucks or whatever. Like, I just, I don't get that. Like, everyone's journey's different. Yeah. You know, circumstances are different. Like, you know, the main thing, the main thing is like, the errors are different, but not just the game of play, but also the context of like player movements different. So like this whole thing of, Oh, like Michael would have never left the bulls. Well, like, a, okay. that's just not how the league was then. And B, like he had his squad. It was in Chicago or he had, he had a pretty good team. He didn't need to leave. We're like with, we're with LeBron. It's like, you know what? I'm carrying Cleveland. Like it's not going anywhere. Ownership's not great. Like I want to win. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. Like I think LeBron would admit, he didn't handle the decision correctly, like how he did it. Yeah. So his decision to go to Miami, I mean, he got two titles out of it. Like they had a better culture. Like, I don't know. I mean, it wasn't hard to know what which decision was right, right? What what decision? What I never understood that either, Mark. Like the decision that that's a stain on something. I don't see it like that. I, I see it as this. This is how I see it. I see it as Cleveland had a chance to get Amari Stoudemire, but they didn't want to give up J.J. Hickson. So they ended up getting Antoine Jameson instead. You know, they had a chance. And that, this was a healthy, relative healthy, healthy Stoudemire before his knees went out. I think his knees went out a couple of years after on the Knicks. You yeah. know, who knows what they, what, what they would have did. I guess LeBron didn't see – I mean, not LeBron. Um, No, LeBron didn't see that. Cleveland wanted to, to get better. So he did what he had to do. Like you, they opened the door. They did that, you know? Yeah. So I don't blame him. I don't blame him for leaving. Um, I don't even blame Kevin Durant for leaving. You know, this is what happens. Like, you feel like you can't grow a player. You you open that door. That's what happens. Well, you know, take I, care, well, care I, I think with Kevin's case, I think why the criticism was even more is that, look, this was a team that had already won a title. You know, the, even though they lost to Cleveland, they won 73 games. Yeah. They're joining – three other all-stars, you know, so I get that, but, you know, where when you compare it to LeBron, like, yeah, they had Dwayne Wade there, but, like, they weren't winning chips. Like, they mm -hmm. won a chip when Shaq was there, but that was in 2006, right? Yeah. Um, you know, it was LeBron and Bosh. Here, like, the Warriors had everything tailor-made and then Durant's there, but – I will say this, like, it's also hypocritical for just, like, how we judge players. Like, we're saying, like, do you care most about winning? Is it all about championships? Or, like, Kevin made a move exactly all about championships, and he got ripped for it. So, like, I think that and the fact that, look, you can have a super team, and sometimes it doesn't work because there's too many egos, too many yeah. 
personalities, everyone had to sacrifice and also put each other in that best position to succeed. So like this whole idea that it was easy. Yes. Talent helps, but like it also required everyone to step out of their comfort zone a little bit. And I think Kevin, as well as everyone else on the Warriors deserves credit for that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. They, um, it takes a lot, man. And look, look, think about it. Um, Golden state, didn't even dominate like that. They only got two championships. Granted, they could have had three if Kevin, if nobody got hurt, but they still got two. Uh, Miami got two. You know, like I always say to my friends, I'm like, I love the NBA. I love basketball, period, because you can't master the sport because there's always something going on, whether it's injuries, team chemistry, you know, players want to get paid or whatever they're willing to leave in order to get paid. You can't master this game. You'll have like, you're, you'll get mentally exhausted too as well you know what i mean? like, oh, i need a new i need a new space because think like think about it maybe next year kevin durant and westbrook would have got over the hump and went to go play um you know cleveland in the finals who knows you know but kevin wanted a new he wanted a new space that's why that's why i love i love this game so much man it's it's, it's so much fun to watch it's so much fun to enjoy and try to see you know if, if players can really figure it out and go on a on a like you know six seven in a row tier championships, which won't happen again because boss, you know them 50s, 60s Boston had all the best players on one team. Yeah, you know, I, you know? <laughs> but they had nine and all the famous have those kind of things anymore because for better and for worse. Like I think the better mm-hmm. is hey, players have more control of their future. Like there's mm-hmm. you know I think accountability of for offices doing their job, coaches, players, but like you don't have that same organic feel and stability that teams yeah. in the early eras had. And so, I mean, there's just so much roster turnover and it's hard to really build that foundation. And look, like, I know sometimes I'm part of the problem, but like, you know, yeah. it's yeah. tough. It, there's times it's interesting and you don't want to ignore it because it's part of the business. Like this is how teams are operating behind the scenes, but like the constant, fixation on like where the guy's next sometimes they entertain but sometimes it's just too much and it gets i think it takes away from the game itself yeah yeah i understand and, and, and you know like you said i'm glad that you brought that up the media y'all have a big part in it uh, fans fans have a big part in it because think about it they will bash they will bash um a player that has no rings like a charles barkley or carl malone patrick ewan they will bet like me as a fan. I bash Patrick Ewing all the time. I think Patrick Ewing's the worst um, franchise player in NBA history. That's how I feel sometimes. You know what I'm saying? Wait, but what? yeah, I'm not a bit. I'm not big on the Knicks, man. I never was, man, because they let you down too much, man. You know, Patrick Ewing. Like I, it stopped with me with the finger roll. That's when I was like, I'm done. Oh, Pacers. Huh? Yeah, I was done after that. I'm done. I'm done. Yeah, you can't say Patrick Ewing is washed. No, I never say he's washed. I just oh, said that he's the worst franchise player. He's now he's oh, when right. I say that he's not washed. I just think right. that when it comes to franchise plays, he, he can't right. deliver. But you know what I'm saying? But then also we we'll criticize a player, you know what I mean, for 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 jumping teams to win a ring. But also if that is if said player never jumped teams and didn't win a ring, oh, we're gonna talk about that too. That's gonna be a part of his legacy. So it's like, damn if you do, damn if you don't, you know. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. I mean you know, Steve Nash has been asked about this too. Like, think of those great players. Yeah, haven't won rings. You got Nash. You got Barkley. You got Carl Malone. You got Stockton. Um, I'm I'm missing some guys, but like those are some of the marquee guys. Like, 
Yes, when you win a ring, you deserve praise. But like a lot of it again is circumstantial. Like you yeah. weren't on that team that had other players, or you didn't have that clean bill of health. Yeah, but the Suns could have been that team, and then you know, my Spurs happened. That Robert Ory hip check. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. I was I was off for that. <laughs> So yeah, it's it's crazy, but like I don't think I'm going out of limb here. Steve Nash is one of the best point guards of all time ever. Like, mm. yeah. So I agree, I agree, man. But yeah, man, let's get on out of here, man. Thanks for coming. Thanks for coming on the show, man. And uh, yeah, it fun, man. yeah, it was definitely fun. Good seeing you. Always good chopping it up. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Tell everybody how they can reach you. How they can find you. Yeah, I'm, I'm with USA Today, so usaday.com. Uh, just go to the sports and NBA page. And then Twitter, Mark G underscore Medina. M-A-R-K-G underscore M-E-D-I-N-A. Uh, Instagram, Medina Syracuse. I went to Syracuse. So we got M-E-D-I-N-A-S-Y-R-A-C-U-S-E. I know y'all can follow me at Daniel Pod, Instagram and Twitter. Also got the website www.danielartestpodcast.com and also you can find me on Facebook the Daniel Artest Podcast you know join the group sign up and with that being said I'm out of here peace